This week, we're going to focus on some common lies people believe about God. God just wants me to be happy. Have you ever heard that one? In one way, it seems almost irrefutable. To say the opposite seems cruel. God doesn't want me to be happy? That doesn't seem right. But here's the thing. When do you hear people say this lie about God? It's when somebody wants to do something that is contrary to God's will for them. So if, if happiness involves hurting yourself or hurting others or, or uh, doing something that is not in line with God's plan for you as he lays, you, lays it out for you in Scripture, then no, God doesn't want you to be happy. He wants you to have something so much more. In Mark 8, Jesus says, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. Let's pause there. Deny self. Do you see what Jesus is asking? It's the hardest thing in the world. If Jesus had asked us to take a pilgrimage to the ends of the earth or walk over burning coals or join a monastery, all those things would have been easier. But deny self. That's hard because that means me saying, Jesus, your will, not my will for my life. He goes on to say, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his retirement home? No. His 401k plan? No. His preferences and opinions? No. His cross and follow me. To say that a, a cross is hard would be an understatement. But it's so worth it because it keeps us focused on Jesus' cross. Listen to what God says in 1 Timothy. He says, this is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Do you see what God wants? It's not that he doesn't want you to be happy. God wants you to be in heaven. If you want proof of that, just look at our Savior hanging on a cross, denying himself so that he could welcome us there. God doesn't want you to be happy. He wants you to be in heaven. And he's willing to do whatever it takes to get you there. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, teach me to deny myself. Take up my cross and follow you. Inspire me by your love for me on the cross to follow in your footsteps. Amen. God helps those who help themselves. Is it in the Bible? No. Uh, this lie about God has its roots in pagan religion. 500 years before Christ, Aesop wrote, The gods help them that help themselves. Our current wording comes from Ben Franklin, who wrote it in Poor Richard's Almanac. But here's the thing about this lie. Satan often couches his lies in half-truths. I mean, because there is an element of truth to this lie. Generally, in general, things will go better for you if you have a positive attitude. Um, I mean, who wants to be around somebody who mopes around all day like Eeyore saying, woe is me? If you follow the laws of the land and the laws of God, then in general, things will go well for you. But that doesn't mean that hard times won't come. Think of how crippling that thought would be. A, a Christian mother who sacrifices time and time again for her family, but she still gets cancer. The businessman who follows the laws of the land to the T, but still loses his business. A teenager who stands up to a bully on behalf of someone else and, and gets ridiculed himself. What is the only conclusion we could come to? Well, from a worldly standpoint, we would think, but that's not fair, that's not what they deserve. Shouldn't God help them? In other words, either God isn't being fair or they had it coming. Neither conclusion is true. No, God does help. It's just that God helps only those who can't help themselves. We don't deserve anything because of our sin. God tells us in his word, while we were still sinners, not while we were 
doing our best, not while we were helping ourselves, but while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's grace. God's something for nothing when we don't deserve anything. That's God's undeserved love. So why will we do good things? Not to help ourselves, that we could never do. Instead, God says this through Titus. He says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. You are God's very own. That word actually is referring to the king's private treasury. You are God's special possession. Not because we helped ourselves, but because God chose to love us and help us. And because of that, we're eager to do what is good. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, help me because of your grace. Help me to live for you today. Amen. The logic goes, if God is loving, then the concept of eternal suffering is incompatible with his character. It seems logical, but it's not biblical, nor is it really logical. I can understand why people would believe this lie. After all, the Bible describes hell as being real and horrible. It uses a number of pictures to describe what hell is. Uh, Isaiah the prophet describes it as fire, a fire that will never go out. Jesus ends his parable of the talents by saying, and throw that worthless servant outside where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Hell is described as fire because when you get burned, you forget every good thing. I think of how true that is just when I burn my finger, I can't remember any blessings at that moment. All I can concentrate on is the pain. Hell is described as darkness because then you can't see beauty. It's described as outside because then you don't belong. Hell is real and it is horrible. You see, God is love, but God is also just. Sin must be punished. And that's logical. If God forbid someone were to murder a family member and he was convicted and at his sentencing, the judge said, well, now, are you sorry for that? And the man said, yes. And the judge said, are you really sorry? And the man said, yes, I'm really sorry. And then the judge said, well, then you're free to go. Would you be okay with that? No, we'd scream out, that's unfair, that's unjust. God is love, but he is also just. So how does he satisfy both? Well, to use maybe a crude analogy, imagine that there is a kingdom where a king makes a decree that there will be no baked goods that can be sold on Tuesdays. And if anybody sells baked goods on Tuesdays, then they'll go into the stockades for the day. Well, the king's mother was up on Monday night. She was baking some tasty cookies and she thought these are just way too good to keep to myself. So she decided that she was going to go out and sell the cookies the next day. Well, she got busted and she got dragged before the king. And so now the king has a dilemma. The king loves his mom. He doesn't want to put her in the stockades. And yet there was a crime committed. It needs to be punished. So if you're king, how do you satisfy both your justice and your love? Well, you go into the stockades for her. Your justice is satisfied because the crime is punished. Your love is satisfied because you didn't punish your mother. (laughs) That's what Jesus did for us. Jesus saw that we deserved hell for our sins. Because of his justice, he knew that needed to take place. 
But because of his love, he didn't want us to have to suffer that hell. So what did he do? Jesus suffered hell in our place. Yeah, hell is real. But because of Jesus suffering for us on the cross, so is heaven. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for suffering the hell I deserve. Let me show my thanks in my life for you today. Amen. The world we live in promotes the idea of tolerance. And basically the only sin is to say that someone else is wrong. When do people say the lie, God says not to judge? Well, generally they're gonna say it when they wanna live totally free and, and don't want their conscience or you bothering them. But at the same time, doesn't Jesus say, don't judge? Well, actually, yes, but it's important to know what his point is. The, the section most often quoted for this lie about God comes from Matthew chapter 7. We read, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do you see Jesus' point? He is not condemning all judging. He's condemning hypocritical judging. And so the drunk person at the bar is not in the best position to say to the person in the bar stool next to him, you know, you really shouldn't drink so much. No, that's hypocritical. Jesus says, first remove the plank from your eye, and then you are in a position to judge. And that's maybe something important for us to keep in mind. When we do need to point out someone's sin, remember to do it in a way that shows humility because we're all sinners. Remember to do it in a way that shows that you care for the person. Remember to do it in a way that shows them your goal, forgiveness. Jesus said, if your brother or sister sins, go and show them their fault. Just between the two of you, if they listen to you, you've won them over. Your goal is to win them over so that they find forgiveness in the cross of Jesus. Love them enough to show them that and pray that they love you enough to show you when you need it. Martin Luther said, Christianity is simply one beggar showing another beggar where to find bread. And so lovingly show the people in your lives Jesus, the bread of life, we pray. Dear Jesus, give me humility when I need to point out someone's sin. Keep me mindful that my goal is your goal, to win them over to you and your grace and forgiveness. Amen. Why would people think that God doesn't care? Well, it's because the suffering that exists in our world, many, including us at times, feel like God must be distant or disinterested. So does God care? I heard a story about a woman named Dorothy L. Sayers. Dorothy Sayers was one of the first women to graduate from Oxford University. She lived in the early 1900s. By her own admission, she was not much to look at. Her words, not mine. She was not a real attractive woman. And she was the writer of mystery novels. She wrote 11 novels all about the same guy, Sir Peter Whimsey. Sir Whimsey was a British aristocrat who would go around solving crime. The series was very popular in, in England. Well, after about the fifth novel, Dorothy started to get these letters from her fans, and they would say things like, oh, we love Sir Whimsey. He's so noble and brave, but he seems so consumed by his work, we, we kind of feel sorry for him. 
And so Dorothy went back and read her first five novels, and she said, you know what, they're right. He's lonely. So in the sixth novel, Dorothy wrote in a new character. The character's name was Harriet Vane. And Harriet Vane was one of the first women to graduate from Oxford University. She was not a real attractive woman, and she wrote mystery novels. Well, Harriet teamed up with Lord Whimsey, and they went around London solving crime. By the eighth novel, they fell in love and got married, and the series ended with them living happily ever after. It's kind of obvious what happened there, right? Dorothy looked out at this universe that she created, and she saw of all the characters she loved, there was one she loved most, Sir Whimsey. And she saw that he just wasn't whole. Now, she could have simply scrapped the series and started over. Uh, she could have left it be. I mean, her novels were selling. But instead, Dorothy wrote herself into the story in order to make Sir Whimsy whole. That's really a metaphor for Christmas, isn't it? God looked out at this universe that he created and he saw of all the people he loved, there was one he loved most, you. And he saw that you just weren't whole. Now, he could have scrapped you and started over. He could have simply left you be. But instead, he wrote himself into the story, literally. The word became flesh. Jesus wrote himself into the story of your life to make you whole. Do you see how much he loves you? The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. And it said, God placed all things under his feet and made him to be head over everything for the church. Now that doesn't seem distant or disinterested to me. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for showing how much you care for me by entering into my story to save me. Let that fact assure me that you care about me and the world. Amen. Hey, what's up everyone? Pastor Mike here from Time of Grace. Thanks so much for checking out this podcast. Uh, we certainly would love this message to reach more and more people. So if you wouldn't mind rating and reviewing this podcast, it would bring it to more people's eyes and we pray this message into more people's hearts. Thanks for your support and we'll talk to you soon.